Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to episode number 348 of This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Agent Fetch. (laughs) It'll happen someday. It'll happen someday. Our interview this week is with Claudio Sanchez of the band Coheed and Cabrio because we have helped announce and reveal their next song, which is Unheavenly Creatures. Dope track. You guys will hear much more about uh, our conversation with Claudio later in the show. But for now, the biggest news this week is that we had the red carpet world premiere for Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp. And it was super fun. Super fun. Uh, So last week was the release of Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix. Next week is the release of the film Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp. We are locking down the summertime awesomeness so well. Here at Marvel. Yeah. Tons of great comics. It's really, really good time. Hope you guys watched the Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp live stream. Uh, They put up like 20-odd, you know, clips on Marvel.com and Mm -hmm. YouTube. So you could see all the interviews. Everybody was there. They had a cool set. Did you see the the design of the red carpet and like the big buildings and stuff like that? I didn't see that. I was... You could see it a lot at the beginning and the end of the show. Okay. Um, and, And they had like a big giant man looking over the buildings that was sort of part of the the the, one of the big set pieces for the red carpet and then they had like enlarged household items i guess like a salt shaker and some really neat stuff it looked it just looked really cool everybody had a great time and so you could check all that stuff out uh we also have been putting up you jamie and the team have been putting up tons of behind the scenes interviews and videos and cool stuff around the film all on marvel.com yeah there was a really great behind the scenes video about uh car chase if you love your car chases which i know that i do as a longtime blues brothers fan um so good but this car chase involves shrinking and growing and it's one of the most clever car chases i've ever seen i'm so excited to see it on the big screen and just be there while it happens but what i think what blew my mind most about that video is that it's not just the cars on camera that are doing stunt driving it's also the camera operators Mm. in cars that filming the cars that are on the screen yeah all kinds of good stuff for marvel studios ant-man and the wasp uh i want to give a shout out to our pal surf from the miami dolphins i've known surf for a while he uh sent a nice note in about the show um and that was was just real sweet it was so sweet thank you surf for our american listeners have a fun and safe fourth of july that'll be uh happening before our next episode comes up so just want to wish y'all a good time be safe please Anyway, first book we're going to talk about is Thor number two. Then we're going to talk about Ms. Marvel number 31 and then Venom number three. So if you are among our listeners who want to read your books before we talk about them in depth, get to it right now. Okay, you're back. Great. I love you. You're wonderful. Take a nice sip of water. Hang out a little bit. We're going to talk about Thor number two, which the the dog in this is Thori the Hellhound. I love Thori. Thori is the best. Uh, Thori... Just wants to murder all the enemies of Thor, which in this case are fire goblins and fire monsters, which is great. So he's a very good boy. He's loyal. Totally. Thori also has a little bit of a love uh, moment in here with a raptor or some sort of dino creature. It's so cute. I don't know where the dinosaur came from, which makes me love the scene even more. It's this one panel towards the end of the book where Thori has a little heart above his head and looks at this raptor. Uh, or the it looks like a raptor to me, but this dinosaur just says, marry me? Yeah. Uh, it's so cute. <laughs> it's adorable. So good. I love this book. Jason Aaron is your writer here. Art by Mike Del Mundo. Lettering and production by Joe Sabino. So the uh, we got them Odinson boys, the four 
Odinson brothers, which obviously we know Thor. Mm-hmm. We know Loki. Balder because he's not been in the comics for a couple years, sometimes gets omitted, but he is definitely a brother. And then there's also Tyr. Tyr is the one that I always forget about. And in here, like Tyr, he just likes giving big old hugs. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's a big dude. He likes to hug. Can't go wrong with that. Asgardian uh, friendship is wonderful. So the title of the issue is called The Odinson Boys Ride Again. And this made me think of the Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> me too. Right? And so, <laughs> yeah. and it's them, they are, are getting together. They are trying to take down this, this train that's in Muspelheim. The train itself is singing a song. It, it's definitely to the tune of something, but I don't know if that's referencing something else. I think of a song by the, the rap group Black Sheep, but could be something else. Anyway, they have to take down this train because this train is housing uh, a really crazy weapon that will that could potentially change the War of the Realms. They don't know what the weapon is. We do find out by the end. No spoilers here, but it is awesome and it looks so cool. But this this moment of them causing trouble with the citizens of Muspelheim and the sheriff of Muspelheim is so good. I found out where the dinosaur came from. Tyr came in riding a dinosaur. Oh, right. That makes of course. sense. Yeah, Uh, but you were just looking at a page of Cinder, the queen there. I mean, it's a page full of fire here. Yeah. it's. I love the colors in this book so much. Del Mundo's art is is gorgeous. Like, I would not mind some kind of poster of this kind of art. It's colorful. The line work is really, well, I guess that's your penciler. Mike does everything. He does everything. Mike's doing all the art. And so, like, here he's got Cinder, who is the daughter of, of Surtur. She's basically making a play to be the queen of Muspelheim, the queen of, of this, this hell area. And uh, she looks like flowing lava, which is what makes it so cool. Like you can see her figure in there, but it also just this fire and magma like flowing around her. And horns. So gnarly. Oh, yeah. Her horns remind me of Tim Curry in Legend when he plays this cool darkness character. Uh just such a great design. And she's decapitating fools. She's burning them up. She is like, look, I'm the baddest woman here. Follow me or die. And, you know, the citizens of Muspelheim, for the most part, have to roll with her, which makes the War of the Realms that much harder for Thor and, and his forces to compete against because they're just lining up horrible, horrible, dangerous creatures and armies. It's it's wild. The book is funny. The book is, uh, is smart. It's exciting. It also introduces this ton of characters, but gives you hooks and connections right away to each one of them, which is really important. So Tyr and his hugs, Balder and his dashing good looks and leaderliness, Scourge, who, you know, we, we've seen in the films, we see in the comics for many years, him and his gunning, Carnilla and her awesome bike. Like the vehicles in here, the vehicle designs, so gnarly and so like wild. The surprises unleashed at the end, all the villains, everything looks so cool. There's no question that this was going to be one of my picks of the week. It's so fun. Yeah, it's definitely a worthy follow-up to number one, which was mind-blowingly wonderful. If you're not on the Thor bandwagon, just please get up on it. And this has one of my favorite covers of the year so far. Just this dope super metal like rock band cover. This is the poster that I want. Yeah, that's a pretty hardcore badass like image. It's got everything. Okay, so 
My pick is the other issue with a dog in it, and it is Ms. Marvel, number 31. This is the oversized 50th issue spectacular of Ms. Marvel with a huge team of amazing writers and artists putting this together in a big jam issue to celebrate her 50th issue. Uh, so I'm just going to read them off. First, I'm going to start with the writers. G. Willow Wilson, Saladin Ahmed, Rainbow Rowell, Hassan Minaj. This is like everything you dream of in a Ms. Marvel. Not only a team of writers, but a team of artists. Nico Leone, Gustavo Duarte, Bob Quinn, Elmo Bondock, and Ian Herring on color, and VC's Joe Caramagna on lettering. Yeah, it's such a great team. Gustavo with Saladin and Rainbow with Bob Quinn. And then Hassan with Elmo Bondock is a great pairing. Their story is really cool. I'll let you talk about that. But I this was I was like, wait, Hassan Minaj writing a, yeah. a comic story. That was I, I had no idea. And so I, I asked Sana Amanath about getting Hassan to write this story. And she said, I met Hassan a few years back and kept running into him in mutual friend circles. I was trying to think of prominent Muslim creators who would bring a unique spin to Kamala. Hassan has done a lot of great work speaking about the Muslim American experience in a way that's relatable and funny and honest. So the natural alignment to him writing him his Marvel story was there. And so getting a little bit of like background, I thought was cool because you know, we, we've had a lot of comedians, uh, actors. Daniel Kibblesmith, yeah, yeah, did Lockjaw. Totally. We've had a lot of great people writing stories for us, but this was the first time I'd seen Hassan's name in a book, so I thought it was pretty cool. And it's such a fun issue. I mean, I had, this is a big slumber party issue that Kamala is throwing with her closest friends, and it keeps getting interrupted by things that she needs to take care of as Ms. Marvel. And meanwhile, she has to hide her identity from her friends because they don't know. At least she doesn't think they know. So it starts off just a really fun sleepover. Her father's not really thrilled. Her mom's making samosas. It's looking like it's going to be a lot of fun in Jersey City for the teen girls. And they're just going to play video games and chat and be carefree. Yeah. Of course, this doesn't last. <laughs> <laughs> the framing of this issue is by Willow and Nico. And I love Nico's art so much. The little details he puts in, like Kamala's sloth pajamas. Yeah. So good. The newspaper stories in, in Abu's paper right there. They're so fun. The friendship and dialogue between Kamala and her friends. Everything is so awesome. And it's authentic. I had slumber parties when I was a kid. And... This is what they're like. You know, they're just girls, like, just having a good time. And that's what's so fun about our heroes is that they're, you know, just people trying to do stuff. This is what always appealed to me about Peter Parker and having to be a superhero on the side. And seeing this with Kamala is bringing back all those warm fuzzies about watching, you know, a young person just trying to deal with their life while having this huge responsibility now. They may or may not want, but they'll take it because they feel obligated. But it's really fun because the first appearance is Lockjaw. Yeah, Lockjaw shows up, and Gustavo did the, the art um, for some Lockjaw stories that we had in, in some backups. So good. I love this depiction of Lockjaw. He's kind of, like, grumpy. I mean, bulldogs always kind of look grumpy. They've just always got that... It's It's... Lockjaw and a teleporting cat. A tiny, itty-bitty teleporting cat. Like a kit, a baby kitten. A baby kitten. And they're teleporting uh, around 
like chasing each other essentially it, and it reminds me of like old cartoons like tom and jerry but yeah. way friendlier like they're totally cool with each other and not trying to murder each other yeah even gustavo's art style evokes that feeling of animation and fun and and, and just like constantly moving yeah so this is one thing that Kamala is able to resolve pretty quickly, but this is, of course, introducing her having to hide her identity because she's wearing her awesome sloth pajamas over her, her Ms. Marvel costume. And she keeps running in and out. She just wants to enjoy some samosas. And then she sees another obstacle who is seemingly delivering pizza, but it's not. It's uh, a skunk girl. <laughs> so this one, this is the Rainbow Rowell and Bob Quinn story, and they have six pages and they break your damn heart uh, yeah. because of like, oh, cool, I'm going to get hit by the Terrigen Mist. I'm going to have all these cool powers or oh, my mutant gene, you know, triggered. And I've got all these cool powers. But there's the flip side of that of someone who gets uh, like uh, their body changes in a way that they don't like that yeah. is upsetting. And so this poor girl, she turns into like a skunk woman and she emits this smell it's such a heartbreaker. It really is heartbreaking because it's like, I didn't, I wanted this, but I didn't ask for this. This is the worst power. And yeah. it's like super puberty too. <laughs> this poor girl. And she's just so sad. Like she's upset because no one, no one would ever come to her party now. So she's a little resentful that Kamala can throw a party and have powers and just kind of continue to lead a normal life. And she really can't. I hope we see more of that character. I hope so, too, because I want to I see her have fun, because that's what she wants. She doesn't want to be a bad guy, but right now, she do, it seems like she can't really control this power of hers, and it, it's a bummer. But actually, just Kamala does let her know that she has really great hair. Yeah, I, I think just emotional grist is what you know Rainbow does so well with yeah. like those teenage stories, and you know six pages to get you to care about a brand new character. Um, like get invested in them yeah. and then want more is such a huge task. They crush it. Total achievement. So her next guest is Spider-Man, Miles Morales, who texts her with you up, which is honestly the worst. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I uh. yeah, I, I it, it, it's a funny story, but it's, uh, and like Hassan has some fun with, you know, like tropes of like the infinity gem type. Uh, yeah. Yeah elements in the Marvel Universe and secret identities and relationships and all kinds of stuff. But the most important thing here, I don't want to even dive too deep into, is the last part of the book, which sort of goes along with what they've been doing lately in Ms. Marvel's swinging for the fences, taking big storytelling chances, like life changes for yeah. Kamala and how she functions with her friends, her family, the boys that she likes, the, all these different things. This one was a huge one, and it's just so, so good, so, so fulfilling. Sweet. Yeah, and it's suspenseful. Like you can feel like something's about to happen. And um, yeah, I'm not. I'm going to stop there because you should read it for yourself. It's so, it's so good and so sweet, and the whole issue is really satisfying. It ends on a wonderful note. Yeah, in in a world where we have so many stories of characters like creators beating the crap out of their characters yeah. and even Kamala's been through a lot having some wins here and there is really really nice I appreciate it uh, last book of the week is one of my picks it is Venom number three by dynamic Donnie Cates with righteous Ryan Stegman on art JP Meyer is your anchor Frank Martin is your colorist 
and Clayton Cowles letters the book in Hot Dog. This is a good-looking book. The first two story pages are among the most visually incredible this week. And that's saying something because we have issues by Daniel Cunha and Mike Del Mundo, who just are amazing storytellers, but this continues to cement Ryan Stegman, J.P. Meyer, and Frank Martin in that upper echelon when they're working together. This first page, it's like inside Eddie's mind. He's dealing with the, the symbiote is all weirded out because of what what has been unleashed, this dragon thing that we saw at the end of last issue. Uh, he's freaking out, and the panel borders are like symbiote goo, this black thing, like the, the black symbiote goo. Uh, it's really, really neat. Uh, the tendrils connected to Eddie and the way he sees himself in his mind. And then you flip the page and this wild splash of scary, twisted venom, rain shooting down, Miles Morales uh, with one of his lenses broken so you can see Miles's eye and he's like bulging out. He's like, oh no, I'm going to die. He's not doing good. No, it's just so cool. Stark reds and blacks. It is just gorgeous. It is arrestingly gorgeous. Yeah, what I love about these first two pages is that it goes from extremely intimate to way outside. Yes. And I love the contrast and when it's executed this well because when I think of Venom art, I think visceral. And this is extremely visceral like those tendrils the symbiote it it has to be Mm -hmm. because it's really just all invasive and ooky and sticky and can't get rid of it and it's gotta kind of stick to your eyeballs (laughs) in a way but then we go to what's happening on the outside of all that which is huge in this case yeah Uh, we got this fight between Venom and Miles and there's a panel where Miles grabs Venom's tongue and the the sound effect is grab, which <laughs> I just love so much. It's It works so well there. And the next panel, Miles blasts him with his Venom. He actually calls it his Venom Blast. Uh, they have a little bit of fun about that one. And like we get to see funny dialogue bits, great action, horror moments, cool art, a little bit of blood, gnarly stuff all in the span of a couple pages. Uh, Then we get to the the real problem here is the giant symbiote dragon attacking Manhattan. Oh, yeah. And and it's essentially (laughs) the coolest kaiju moment we were going to have in, you know, this couple of months right now. Uh, But finally, they're able to take it down. And then things just take a whole crazy turn. The last half of this book is so full of wild Big moments. I will not spoil them. You know, I know many of you are reading this book, so don't worry about it. You should be checking it out. It's so cool. But know that this is only the beginning. These plans, what we're he- what we're seeing here, factor into all the stories that Donnie and Ryan and their the team that they're working with are putting together for Venom. It is really, really special. Great comics. Big reveals in this issue. Man. Just on and on we go with Venom. Yeah. I, th- I still think Eddie Brock needs a haircut. You know what? I don't disagree with you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. We love these comics. We loved a lot of other comics that came out this week. You can check out the latest episode of Marvel's The Pullist, where Tucker and I talk about all 20 issues that came out this week. But, you know, we also want to look forward. Yeah, dude. Jamie, we want to look forward. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do is we just got the most recent copy of Marvel Previews. Marvel Previews is the just this free magazine that comes out every month partially to help 
retailers figure out what comics are coming out. They, they look at this. There's like order codes and stuff in there that they can then plan out. Okay, I need a bajillion copies of Black Panther number four. I need two billion copies of the Century number four, whatever it is. And it helps them plan things out. It's also really helpful for those of you who say, oh, I want to make sure how do I pre-order this? What do I do? You can get a copy of Marvel Previews, look through it, figure out the books you want, go to your local retailer and say, hey, please pre-order these for me. These look really great. That's one way to do it. But this we- This is free? This is free. This is free. It used to cost some money. Now it is free uh, and it is, is, it's great. It also just lets us know what's coming up and I thought it would be cool to look through it, find some things that we got hyped about because this is the section where we get hyped about stuff, comma, including news. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. And so first up, there's Return of Wolverine number one. Oh, yeah. Wolverine's all over this. He is. Them hot claws are coming, and they show some cool preview art of Steve McNiven's art in here. Yeah, there's a lot of really good previews of covers and variant covers. Just It's a lot of fun. I mean, one of my favorite parts is the covers just because I, like, I dig a good artist. Hell, yeah. I like getting excited at a cover. Yeah. In here, they introduce the Infinity Warps. Now, oh dear. I remember hearing about this in the last few Marvel Comics creative retreats where the, the creators and the editors were just, they were giddy with excitement. And a couple of them that we are introduced in, to in here are Stark Odinson, the Iron Hammer. <laughs> this is great. Steven Rogers, Soldier Supreme. That uh, one I'm the most excited about because those are my two of my favorite characters ever. It's Doctor Strange and Captain America. I'm very excited. There's going to be more discussion around this stuff, I'm sure, as we get into it. There's a new collection of Franklin Richards comics by Chris Eliopoulos and Mark Sumarek. They are terrific comics for kids. They're like Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, oh, high, man. Yeah. Can't speak highly enough of them. Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius. Franklin Richards, all kinds of different books. Please, if you want comics for your kids, so good. Yeah, I saw, well, Death of the Inhumans is also coming up. And I saw Donnie Cates tweeting that he said he's never cried in public while writing something or something along those lines. I don't want to, I can't provide an exact quote, so sorry, Donnie, but it, I just kind of can't wait to see what made him cry in a public place. Oh, yeah. Ne- first issue is next week, so oh, I'm looking man. forward to it. Avengers number seven is coming out in September, and that's by Jason Aaron and Sarah Pakeli, and it tells the origin of the first Ghost Rider. I highly suggest you check out Jason's run on Ghost Rider from, it's like almost 10 years, it's about 10 years ago now, but it's so good. It, it's Tons of weird Ghost Rider stuff. Of course, the orb is in there. Lots and lots of twisted, gnarly, supernatural action, adventure, monsters, and fun, 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 fun. Anyway, on to uh, <laughs> so another cover that blew me away was the cover for Life of Captain Marvel number three, the variant yeah. by Joe Casada and Richard Eisenhoff. Man, it's just the wind blowing Carol's hair. Joe, he's our chief creative officer. He was editor-in-chief for 10 years. But... Every once in a while, he'll put out a piece of art and it just reminds you that he is one of the greatest comic book artists of all time. There's so much going on just in this cover that I'm so curious to see what's going on on the inside, which yeah. is, you know, the whole point of a cover. Heck yeah. But yeah, there's a real intense look on her face. There's a lot of weather happening. It's a little bit twister, but clearly higher stakes because we were talking about superpowers and I'm guessing some Cree. Yeah. Maybe some Cree business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Life of Captain Marvel, uh, should, well, I get we start getting that next month. Um, yeah. So a little note in here, final issues of X-Men Blue and Gold. And, and that cover to gold is very 
intriguing. Yes, it is. And it's kind of right up my alley, and I'm not going to say why. <laughs> uh, I was bummed to see that it's the final issue of Star Wars Poe Dameron, but I know there's all kinds of Star Wars plans for the comics. But man, that book has been so good. It's going to read like a really cool, big, full story. In this catalog as well, there's tons, tons more. We only scratch the surface. Ask your local comic shop for it. I believe there's also a digital version you can get at the Marvel Digital app. But they also note that it's the 20th anniversary for Marvel Knights. That's going to start heating up here in September. And then again in October, there's True Believers, $1 issues, new collections, and so much more. And you know... That reminds me of our advertiser for this episode is Sideshow Collectibles. And they've got uh, some really cool premium format figures for Daredevil and Elektra. If you go to sideshow.com defenders, you can check these out. We were looking at the, the pictures of these before we started recording. And man, the, the Daredevil is 21 inches tall. So that's a, that's a big, hefty figure. And the Elektra I find really, really neat because... She comes with multiple hands, and these are statues, uh, premium format figure statues, multiple hands, but also Electra has multiple arms, cool. so you can hold her her katana or her sai in different like positions. I love that, like the technology that they have making these statues now. Sideshow is able to create them in such a way that they're seamless. They just I, I had to <laughs> try to figure out if were these different versions of, like, did I have to order one with an arm this way or that way? Because they look so good. No, it's just... so cool. Yeah, it's just alternate pieces that you get when you order these. They're really neat. They're available now on pre-order from Sideshow. You go to sideshow.com slash defenders to uh, pre-order some of these. And it's their iconic classic costumes. And, you know, when we're talking about Marvel Knights... Obviously, Daredevil, big deal. There were some really cool Electra stories in there. So we'll be getting to more Marvel Knights action in the months to come. All right, on to uh, games this week. There were just a couple things I saw that uh, Massacre is now in Contest of Champions. He's a cool character. He was a priest in Mexico, and he ran across Deadpool, which got him all twisted. But the thing about it is I think Massacre came up as a character because the Spanish language translation for Deadpool is Massacre. Like, I have collections of Deadpool comics that are from, I think they might have been Panini collections from Spain. It's Massacre. And it was, so it's just such funny. a cool, gnarly thing. So yeah. see, so then that got turned into an actual spinoff character named Massacre, who we saw him in a bunch of different books. And now he's in Contest of Champions, which I find really cool. Luke Cage joins the, the fight in Marvel Future Fight, along with Misty Knight. Yeah. And then we have Emmett and the Wasp were announced to come to Marvel Strike Force. That was announced in the app. And I'm still playing that, having a lot of fun. So I'm excited to try and get my hands on them. Very cool stuff. I was like going through and there was all this buzz about Tom Holland spilling the beans on the next Spider-Man movie. And it's called Spider-Man Far From Home. That's real. That's a thing. It's on Marvel.com. I'm very excited for that. That's a cool way to announce it. Got people talking. Absolutely. I mean, I always depend on Tom Holland for my best Marvel leaks. <laughs> so thank you, Tom Holland. But remember, if it's on Marvel.com, you got to believe it. Yeah, you got to believe it, True Believers. It's all on there. That's true. What we did put on Marvel.com, which you got to believe, is Funko's Comic-Con exclusive. We revealed those on the site. As always, there's a ton of stuff. Jamie, you've never been to Comic-Con, so you don't know what it's like at the Funko booth. It is massive. They have cool giant statues and there's people everywhere like throwing money 
at our friends at Funko. <laughs> uh, what they're going to get this year, there's a Kraglin from Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy, a pop version of him, a Jessica Jones rock candy little like, I saw figure. that. Super cute. She's great. A couple of pops from uh, Marvel Studios, Thor Ragnarok. So you got Thor with Odin Force, which I really, really want. The Valkyrie one looks great. And then this is... I have to own this one. It is in the latest in their director pop line. It's Taika YTT, and oh man, it looks so good. If you go to Marvel.com, you see the picture. It's him and his like the pineapple onesie. The pineapple onesie. Oh my God, yes, it's so good. See, there's reason to have hope. Yeah, I. It is tremendous. I was so excited when I saw that. There's some dorbs, more pops. Uh, some stuff celebrating 10 years of the MCU. And last but certainly not least, this one was really neat. The pink glitter cheerleader Deadpool pop. Because of course there's one. Every year I go to San Diego and I come back with a Godzilla mask and some other weird stuff. Oh, uh, always a couple of good pops from Funko. Gotta have that Taika. Is there a Grandmaster one? Yeah, there's there a Grandmaster out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They should just make a Jeff Goldblum one. A whole line of Goldblum, Goldblum pops. Oh, man. This episode, we are able to partner up with uh, Coheed and Cambria. And so we have an interview with Claudio talking about their next record and... Uh, and all the other stuff he makes to go along with I it. Like, I love how he's running this show. It's like he can't make enough things. He thinks of something and he needs to make it a song. But then he also wants to see something and he wants other people to see something, so he makes it a book. He's just overflowing with words and stories that he has to channel them into all these different places. He's getting so many things done and it all looks amazing. And sounds amazing, too. Yes, sounds amazing. So the song that we worked with Claudio, Coheed, and their record label Roadrunner to debut is called Unheavenly Creatures. So cool. The song is great. I've listened to the whole record, and the whole record is terrific. The story that he's telling, we only dip into a little bit of that in the conversation because the, the album doesn't come out till October. Right. So amazing band. They're going on tour. You guys can hear about all the various things in the interview right now. Claudio, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Yeah? Yes. So, new album coming out October 5th, Unheavenly Creatures. Mm -hmm. I, I've listened to it a bunch. I love the heck out of it. I guess, you know what? We probably can't even talk about all those songs, because right now we got to talk about the title track, most importantly, because that's what we're debuting here, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. And, yeah. and of course, this has got a big, sweeping, cool narrative, a bunch of characters and things like that, but... What can you say about the story for Unheavenly Creatures? You know, right now it's the first part of a five-part pentology. It introduces us to the new characters within the world of uh, the Amory Wars. It's actually a continuation of the uh, record uh, No World for Tomorrow. But yeah, it's a, it's a science fiction epic where uh, this man and woman need to sort of reforge their love for one another and also secure their son's, their future son's position as father of the new universe. So... But we already saw the first single, which was The Dark Sentencer. Yes. I was listening to it before I realized you, you had put it out. And I was like, this is the first song we should be talking about. But it is. It's already, yeah. it's already yeah. out there, which <laughs> made me happy. And I was like, oh, this is dope. It's got that driving sound to it. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then Unheavenly Creatures is, is super fun. It's cool. Uh, and I was reading the lyrics, too. And so getting a sense of the story and how um, the characters and, and from one of their perspectives... Like the heartbreak there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was really, it's really intense. Oh, right on. What inspired you to go in, into this direction, uh, especially 
outside of the main or or the the bigger Amory War story you've been telling? You know, uh, the last record we did, I kind of came outside of the Amory Wars just because my son was being born. And, and at that time, I was just like, you know, this is such a profound moment in my life that there was going to be time for me to write records within the concept that were inspired by him. So at that moment in time, it like it just kind of gave me a breath of release to sort of understand where the Amory Wars sort of sits and how to continue it by doing a record outside of it. And uh, I think it was around the time I, I wrote one of the tunes, uh, Queen of the Dark. And uh, it sort of started positioning characters and places just kind of randomly, like not the world wasn't set yet. Uh, it just started establishing things and ideas that I was like, you know, this, I should magnify this, I should get into this a little more. And so with that, you know, I just thought, when looking at it sort of as a whole, when the song started to kind of fall into place, it's like, this seems like a continuation. This isn't a parallel story. This isn't a prequel. At this moment in time, it's, it feels like a continuation of the events of Good Apollo 2, No World for Tomorrow. I, I just had this revigored, like, fun for, for doing the conceptual album. And it, I had so much fun with it that I was like, you know what, this isn't one, this is five. You know, like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Storytelling, so, man. Yeah. So it always it, takes over. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's just so much fun. Like, um, this first one is really just a, uh, an introduction to our new main characters of uh, No Strand and Nia, who are AKA Creature and Sister Spider, and really just their quest, like I said earlier, about, you know, trying to position their, their son as a uh, father of the new universe. How do you, you know, like, conceptualize five giant stories, five records, like, I, I, my brain doesn't work that way. Like, mm -hmm. where do you, what, do you have a Bible that you write and sort of like put your stories together and plan it out like that? Or how does it work? Usually it's just, it's just what is the heart of each piece? Like, for example, this is those two characters defining the stage and that, um, finding out who their son is going to be. And that's a beat that'll happen in maybe record three. You know, um, so just finding what the nucleus is of that of those stories and just placing them and then trying to connect those dots, you know, yeah. uh, uh, really just adding more detail, adding characters that'll help sort of make uh, bridge those things together. And um, yeah, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. So what I think is so fascinating about how you put your projects together, it's not just it's not just the album. It's not just the books. They all go together. It's almost like you had a surplus of ideas and you just needed to channel them into different places. Like, I don't just want to hear the story. I need to see it, too. Mm -hmm. And talk about that a little bit. Like, did, you, did it start as one thing and then just have to compel you to go towards another form of media? Pretty, I, I mean, pretty much. I mean, I think for me, it, it, you know, it came from this idea of, like, becoming a singer in a band and having this hard time of conveying my story in the songs, you know, just embellishing on it to a point of fiction. And uh, science fiction seems to be the platform that I gravitate towards most. So that was that was really it, like transforming my life and experiences into something a little more grandiose. And that's basically it. I mean, you know, I'm definitely influenced by a lot of pre-existing stories. Like if you get in, if you come into my office, which I really just a third bedroom in our apartment. <laughs> I like to make myself seem more important than I am. But uh, it's all po it's posters. You know, it's yeah. po you know, I've got Crawl, uh, True Romance, Blade Runner, Phantom of the Paradise. Like it's just it's just movie posters, uh, uh, action figures, Star Wars toys. Like it's just all of these things that are constantly like as I'm like 
conceptualizing things, you know, maybe I turn and I and I see one of the posters and it and, and something about that movie sort of reminds me of like, oh well that that there's something in there that I can transform to make it work in my story. You know, like, there's what always would reminders. Mine be? Mm-hmm. What would my poster be? <laughs> I think that's like you're make you're kind of doing what every creative would like to do and really just make their poster, make their action figure. Absolutely. Make that's- their book. It's. I think it's a real accomplishment. Oh, thanks. Especially because I know, personally, I'm too lazy for that. So congratulations <laughs> on being incredibly productive and making really beautiful stuff. Like, you're telling really detailed, thoughtful stories, and then you're giving people even more to back up that story and make it an even more rich experience. So... Because the graphic novels, you must have some comic influences. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Um, For me, I think, uh, you know what book I really liked? I was thinking about it on the plane. It's a Marvel book. Kevin Smith, uh, Daredevil. Guardian Devil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I remember I was reading that book. um, I was in the UK and I was reading it in my bunk. and And I started to cry. You know, the, is the Karen scene yeah, where she like, Karen, yeah. And then his mom and like, yeah, I was just bits. like, yeah. I was like, wow. And, you know, I'm a Kevin Smith fan. Yeah. Um, I wasn't from quite, I didn't realize that he was writing comics. So it was something I picked up before I had split uh, for overseas. And this was a while, while back. But yeah, I mean, I, that, um, I really like uh, Jodorowsky with the Metabarons and Inkle. And, I was, I was going to um, say like the visuals, you know, for, for a lot of your stuff, the, the feel of it has a very European comics feel to it oh, in a really cool way of like super nice those those gnarly like weird scapes and and cool ideas that are just they branch off a lot from american especially superhero comics mm-hmm. obviously because the sci-fi stuff was really cool oh right on in some of the materials we got the unheavenly creatures is described as escape from new york meets true romance with a blade runner aesthetic yeah all the posters in my room which is <laughs> so good, though. And then, so then I'm 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 listening to the record, and I I start looking at some of the the art that mm-hmm. you you have for it, and it it nails it. And who did the art that we've seen for for some of that stuff? Well, he's actually this fellow by the name of Chase Stone, and he lives in my hometown, which is pretty incredible considering the Amory Wars is actually was developed there. The title of, of Amory is actually from the street I grew up on. And I always loved it because to me it always felt like, you know, if you busted into Amor uh, and Why, it almost felt like Love and Wars, if you would, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, With a little play on Armory. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's basically the street I grew up on. And we found Chase uh, through V over at Roadrunner. And it was funny. We were having this conversation, this conference call, and I was, you know, I'd heard that he was in New York, and I was like, "Oh, this is great. We can, you know, this is the first time I could really sit with an artist in real time and, and discuss some of these, these ideas." And uh, you know, he eventually said, "Well, I actually live outside of the city in a town called Valley Cottage." I was like, "You gotta be kidding me! Like, <laughs> are you serious? Like, it's like..." And he's right down the road from where I grew up, so I, I just found that like. I thought that that was uh, very, I don't know, maybe poetic or just a sign or whatever have you. But he's just doing an incredible job. I mean, you know, with this book, I wanted to make something that felt very cinematic. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm penning the, uh, the prose with my wife, um, who's my partner in a lot of the, the comic stuff that we do. And, uh, and, and it's, just, it's just turning out to be one of my favorite uh, stories within the Amory's, Amory Wars. Of course, it's it's the newest, so it should be. But there's just something very personal about it, you know, with uh, with the idea of creature and 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 Sister Spider. There's something that feels very home 
to me. And, you know, them trying to escape this prison planet called the Dark Sentencer. So Yeah. Yeah, and and what leads them to getting there too. So you're talking about co-writing the story that's going along with this with Unheavenly Creatures with your wife, but mm-hmm. uh, you also co-wrote uh, a book with Peter yes, David, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Being a longtime comic book fan, what was that like? Because he's Peter David, writer mm-hmm. of like 200 issues of Hulk, of so many stories, must have been fun. Absolutely, it was a learning experience. He, you know, we he we actually co-wrote two books together. One was the prose Year of the Black Rainbow, which is like the origin story of Co-Eating Cambria, but also. Uh, Ian keeping secret storyline. Oh, that's right. And uh, you know, I learned I learned a lot from Peter. You know, being that second stage Turbine Blade was my first attempt at writing a comic, and I really had no idea what I was doing. So it was just one of those experiences that I think I needed to have to sort of progress. You know, in the writer's chair of of these books. You know, how did that come together? Did you just be like, Peter, do you want to you know write some stuff with me? And he's like. Sure. No, no. I think uh, Blaze actually our manager. See, I'm like I'm like the worst at like approaching anybody, you know, and and trying to to be friendly. I mean, not that I'm not friendly. I'm just you know I'm just really bad at social situations. So um, usually I need uh, an instigator, and that's usually in the form of Blaze James, our manager. Blaze is um, good, good, good dude. Yeah. Good dude. Been a long time. Um, so, but how is it co-writing something with your wife versus co-writing with Peter David? What's the process like? How's it different? I'm curious about that. You know, my my wife really knows me and knows like what I like and and you know when I'll I'll create sort of these outlines that are, you know, guides through the music basically. The music is really what helps define what the moments in the story are going to be. And together, you know, it gives us an opportunity when we're like, you know, at a bar together to just talk about the story. You know, there's no schedule. It's very free. I wake up in the middle of the night and I you tap her on the shoulder. I'm like, I got this. She's like, go to sleep. What the hell is wrong? With you? you know what I mean? Like, but it's fun like that. You know, we're very, um, we're just kind of one person. We know what we really want to get to achieve together. And uh, there's very little like headbutting. It's great. I yeah. like what you said about the music finding the points for you to write about mm-hmm. because I think when you think about storytelling and how it affects all the senses, you've kind of touched on more than one sense. But it it feels like some people are like, I'm just a writer or I'm just a musician. But you really are touching on everything visual, audio, written. It's really, do you find like you are just bursting with the ability to convey stories that you just need to get into a little bit of everything? I think it's a little bit of that. I mean, for me, emotion has a lot to do with what I want to say. And, and going back to that idea of that Queen of the Dark song, it's, you know, it's one of the, the seeds of, of, of unheavenly creatures. It's one of those songs that's like, that's where she'll be. That's who Sister Spider will become in the story. I'm not giving too much away, but... Uh, <laughs> There's a lot that happens... Leading yeah. up to that yeah. and then yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's just when I when I wrote that song and what it was, what the inspiration was behind it. And um, it just it I started to visualize what was happening, like where Creature was going. And that happens a lot. Even like, you know, there's a lot of songs on this record where they really kind of define what's happening in my imagination. And when that happens, it's like it's time to get not not put the song aside because you want to you want to keep that momentum going but but just start making those notes of like what am I feeling at this moment and what does that look like make sure I have it so when Chandra and I get together we can really embellish on those things so the the song 
you start putting that together, then you start working on the story part. Does it ever go that you got you and Chandra work on the story parts and then you come back to the song and, and change some of those lyrics or some of the pieces together? So, sometimes. Uh, for the most part, you know, everything is, I feel like the power of suggestion is like super intense sometimes with music. Because, you know, for someone listening, some lines don't mean the same thing. Mm. So for me, it's like if if I'm listening, if I'm writing the story and the song is doesn't or the lines don't relate, like they feel so foreign, then maybe a rewrite would happen. But for the most part, everything seems very transformative. Like I said, the power suggestion, the imagination. It's like there's easy connections, I think, to make. Um, It's almost like you have almost no control over these stories just sort of channel through you and you have no control over where they're going to go. Do you feel like when you're writing, are you more at ease changing a song or are you more at ease changing prose or directing art maybe? Probably more prose, yeah. changing prose than, than actual song. Just because the song for me, it's like that's how I started writing stories. You know, so for me, it's like whatever those initial emotions are, they're being channeled through that music. It's like to go back and, and change it feels a little premeditated. You know, it's like these are raw emotions. Like yeah. um, for the most part, it's like when I'm writing the lyrics, the lyrics aren't you know, the story isn't dictating it. There are moments where it's like, okay, I know what the story is and they might have that effect on me. But for the most part, these are all coming from a very like raw place. And, uh, you know, I don't want to lose that because, you know, not a lot of, of Coheed fans are engulfed in the idea of the Amory Wars. And there are universal themes in the music and I want them to attach to those things because that's what that's what was powerful to me to conjure up these my imagination to make this other idea. So most of the time, to answer your question, it would probably be more to to manipulate the prose as instead of like manipulating the song. That's so interesting. I started writing this record. The first song, uh, which is called "The Pavilion," not the not this first song in the track listing, but the first so song I wrote. That was the song that I was thinking of earlier because yeah, well, yeah. it has a it, it has a parenthetical after it. Yes, and yes. I was listening to that. I listened to it like three times today. That that song. And when I look at the actual file, because I was looking, I was like, man, this song is old. It's <laughs> February 16th, 2016, that song. And so this this idea has been gestating for quite a while. Yeah. When I was done writing the material and I was like, okay, these songs are, this is the story. You know, I started to put together all of the elements I needed to show to an artist. You know, I put together a story synopsis, character descriptions. I pulled images off of the Internet to just kind of help uh, inspire the artist. So I just I I accumulated a lot of like detail. And this is really the first time I actually shared it with the band before we went into the studio and made the record. The songs were all demoed. So everyone sort of had those to sort of think about. But then they also had the concept and the story and what the characters were. So really like getting in the studio, you know, guys would throw ideas like, oh, well, this scene happens here. So what if the Toms were more, were more of a feature because now we're in the, we're in the depths of the dark sentencer and we're, and I'm like, this is great. Like, this is what I wanted with this record, which we've never really had in the past with a lot of the Coheed records that have been, uh, uh, a part of the Amory Wars. Yeah. So. I think it's great that you also put a lot of trust into other people and that you're willing to do that with your stories because that's a really hard thing for a storyteller to do is take like just give it to an artist and yeah, they're a wonderful artist and you know that they can do it, but can they do it exactly the way you're picturing it 
or will they find something that maybe you weren't thinking of? Yeah, and that's that's usually what you want. Like yeah. you want to have that little like, like hair of expansion because I can easily like step in and, and dictate the moment, but I don't want I don't necessarily want to do that. There are go there are times where that does happen, but for the most part, you know, these guys in the band with me are my friends, and I think. For me, when I created this idea of Coheed and Cambria with the Amory Wars, I mean, I wanted to do rock and roll Star Wars. That's what I wanted. And I know that these guys want that same thing. You know, maybe uh, along the way, it was a little hard to, to swallow because, you know, being the concept band isn't the coolest thing. You know what I mean? In the world of rock and roll, it's like hard for a lot of people to sort of digest that. You know, coming up, there's a lot of like, oh, that's that band with the comic book, whatever, you know. And you, you get a little resistance from other guys. But now, I mean... It's like everybody really understands what the idea is. What we're really trying to accomplish is greater than just just being a, being a band. We want these records to come alive in so many other platforms. I mean, you're talking about video games. The other day I was like thinking about a D&D campaign type campaign for the Emory Wars. Like how can I transform the the dark sentencer into I mean, I I can, I'm already seeing it. Yeah, I, I mean like our, our fans are like so it's such a strong, wealthy community. And I don't mean that in terms of finance. I mean, but like, it's like, it's a rich community. Heartfelt. Yes, too, absolutely. Connected. And I think, I think they like to come together in whatever form they can. And, you know, that's what the, that's why the shows are so special. And I feel like that's a, that's another like avenue to take to really bring them together and like, and share in this world of the Emory. So, and like I said, I think to answer the question, everybody gets it and everybody wants to be on board and we all want to be George Lucas. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm really fortunate. Four years old, I get to still be in a rock and roll band and pretend I'm 17, although I don't pretend I'm 17 because the body won't allow that. But, uh, you know, it's really incredible. I, wa I want to get back to a little bit of Marvel stuff before we wrap up. I think we've talked before. Silver Surfer? You, mm. you, you dig Silver Surfer? I do like Silver Surfer. I know you love Wolverine. Yep. Who else? Who else are your favorite Marvel characters? Um, I do like Spider-Man. I know in the past we talked and, you know, Spider-Man to me, I think, you know, there were moments where I like kind of felt a little disconnected from Spider-Man, but I really like, Spider-Man I think has a very impressive like rogues gallery, you know, I think is, I think that's what I really like about Spider-Man is like you can draw a lot of cool villains out of, out of his, uh, out of his lineage. I mean, you know. Carnage, Venom, The Vulture. All, you know, when I was growing up, I think my favorite, my favorite book I think that Marvel had put out was when McFarlane did the Torment series with yeah. Spider-Man. Like when he moved over to Spider-Man. Um, and the drums, like the way they did the sound effects for the beating mm. drums throughout those, those issues. You have Calypso and Lizard and the way he draws Lizard. Yeah, that, absolutely. I like, love that story. Yeah, like McFarlane is, is really, for me, it's like once, once I saw him do that, it was... I remember like going back to that that store in in Annuette, I bought like an autographed Todd McFarlane like X Men. I forget what issue number, and I still own it, just because it was you know Todd. I knew Todd McFarlane had touched that. But yeah, that was that was super cool, dude. I'm glad you could come by. Oh, thanks for having me. It was awesome. I love it. And I'm glad we could, uh, yeah. you know, reveal and, and debut uh, the track Unheavenly Creatures and the record comes out October 5th. I think so. You would you'd know better than I actually. No one tells me anything. <laughs> Sounds like me <laughs> in the same way. Uh, where can they find out uh, tour dates, uh, updates on the record, new songs, and all that? Good yeah, stuff. just coheedingcambria.com. That's pretty much it. I mean, or Roadrunner. All that stuff is there. I mean, really, all you have to do is Google search the word coheed. Then one thing is coming up. <laughs> so, there can only be one coheed. Yeah, there can. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, buddy. You got it. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, we're back. And... 
just so you know, the sirens are on our end. You're no, not every, everything's ho- fine. Hopefully, you're not being chased by police. If you are, please be safe. The superheroes will fix it. And now on to our community segment. We're going to dive right in at Arbitrary Genius Rebecca, showing off some awesome new tattoos. Gorgeous. Yeah, she shows part of hers different stages when they were getting done, but they are the pet Avengers. And I was so excited, I tagged in Chris Eliopoulos, who wrote the pet Avengers comics, and he was freaking out. He was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And she was like, I was nervous. And she didn't want to, sh- she like, there's a whole thread of, of us talking. Aww. And she she wasn't sure if she was going to show them because they weren't ready yet. And I was like, sorry, I blew up your spot, but your tattoos look gorgeous. This is top-notch work. And it translates really well into a tattoo, I have yeah. to say. Like, it looks like it's inner upper arm, which is, that's a sensitive spot. So good for you, Rebecca. Um, but yeah, they they look so great. Yeah, we also saw Captain Rogers 44 with his Captain's yes. Marvel's tattoo with half Captain America shield, half Captain Marvel insignia. Looks really cool. It looks so cool. And the way it's inked is like, it looks like it's gleaming. It looks like it's shining in a sunray or something. Marvel insiders have been tweeting out their Marvel insider wish using hashtag Marvel insider wish. Possibly get their wish fulfilled. And uh, we have one in here from Amanda. She would love to do karaoke night with This Week in Marvel and Earth's Mightiest Show teams. And you never know. She wants maybe some guest stars to show up. Who knows? It would be dope. I'd be up for that. Yeah. I don't know how that works. If somebody says you have to do karaoke with a fan and it's Amanda, I'm in. Amanda's awesome. Uh, Amanda, we have to go to Tokyo, though. You got to take us to all to Tokyo to do karaoke. She Ooh. just was in Tokyo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Lucky so that, that's my only stip. Amanda, again, says, I loved all the interviews in our recent big creator roundup, but the Margie Stoll interview got her so excited for Life of Captain Marvel. She needs some self-care time. Can't wait. Oh, man, don't we all need some self-care time? (laughs) (laughs) A bunch of stuff in here from our friend Simon Williams, who's watching a lot of Luke Cage season two. Oh, as am I, Simon. My my favorite tweet of this whole thread is Simon tagging me because he says, seeing Shades and Comanche in Marvel's Luke Cage season two reminded me of Nino Brown and G-Money in New Jack City. Simon and I know... That New Jack City is one of the greatest 80s movies, one of the greatest like crime action movies. And it's I, I replied to Simon in here because the big refrain that the characters have in New Jack City is, Am I my brother's keeper? And the other one says, Yes, Ooh. I am. And it like it has a real meaning throughout the movie, especially towards the end. <sighs> and it has a lot of relevance in Luke Cage, too. Ah, so good. Oof. So good. This is a good one that you were debating. Yes. Simon writes, I'm trying to decide who's the worst parent, Black Mariah or Thanos. <laughs> and I feel like I'm, I'm maybe only considering the on-screen characters since that's what I'm a little more well-versed in. But immediately my answer was Thanos <laughs> and not Mariah, considering what I saw her like say to her own daughter like two episodes ago. Of course, you know Mariah's situation, as we all know if you've been watching Marvel's Luke Cage, A lot of gray areas, a lot of context, there's a lot of history, so there are a lot of reasons for the, there are reasons why Mariah's not the most nurturing mother. No, totally. Um, I just felt like Thanos, the Thanos we saw in Marvel Studios' Avengers Infinity War showed a father who at least cares a little, like there's something there. To one child. To one child. But not another. But then I think of Thanos in the comics, who 
went around murdering all the children he had sired over and over again because he didn't want them to rise up and kill him. So that's probably a worse parent. Uh, there's a lot more from Simon. Uh, glad you dug through Marvel's Luke Cage season two, digging that Luke and Bushmaster fight on the bridge. Ooh, can I just say, I like that fight too, but my favorite fight scene so far it was as early as episode three, and it was Misty Knight and Colleen Wing in a bar. Oh, that that is my favorite. I cried actual tears of joy. I got so emotional watching Misty Knight, like, dig inside of herself and just bring it. And yeah. Colleen also just at the bar, like, you got this. Yeah, she knows what's up. Oh, they're coming for us, Jamie. We gotta oh, go. Oh, we gotta get out of here. See ya. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.